So with that said, we do have a Bible study. We're starting an eight-week series, and behold, the days are coming uh, today. Uh, the uh, topic is Israel in the last days. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'll read from. <clears throat> and then I'm going to read from the book of Amos. Last week we finished Habakkuk. So if you go to the left, you have uh, Nahum, Micah, uh, you have Jonah, Obadiah, Amos, the last chapter, chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then Amos chapter 9 of the Old Testament, verses 13 through 15. I love to hear the pages of the Bible turning. Always encourage you bring your Bibles. You know, we, we could put the verses up on the screen. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And it can be helpful. I want you to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible, mark it, you know, highlight it, write notes in it. Take it everywhere you go. So, I mean, you may not take it in the grocery store, but, but you can. So I've done a lot of ministry in the grocery store especially this time of year. So, you there? Okay. Genesis chapter 12, we do read. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then as we read from the book of Amos, the prophet, that we read that verse 13 of chapter 9, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the, way, build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Father, we do just give you this time in the study of your word, that we would have a good understanding of your prophetic plan for Israel, and also as we go through this series for the church that we would have clarity and comfort that is given to us, that we realize there's a blessed hope before us, and, Lord, that your return is going to take place because your word declares that the days are coming, not that they might, but they are. So we believe your word, even as Jesus said, that heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. And we know that these things are going to, Lord, um, come before us to this world. It's all headed towards the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. So we want to be able to be equipped so we can minister the truth of the gospel and the truth of the prophetic scenario to others that are wondering and confused and, Lord, wondering where everything is headed. So we ask that you would just help us be attentive to these things that we're going to talk about in Jesus' name. 
Amen. One month ago, as you know, on October 7th, it was the last day of the Jewish holiday of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was early on the morning of Sabbat that the Jews were at home with their families. They were resting as they do every Sabbat. There was a large gathering of young people that were near Gaza as they were out in the desert. They had gathered all night long playing music, and they were dancing into the early hours of that Sabbat Saturday morning. And then around 6.30 in the morning, everything changed. Thousands of missiles began to be fired from Gaza into Israel, to, into the villages and kibbutz of southern Israel. Hamas militants broke through the barrier, uh, border barrier, and sent hundreds of uh, militant terrorists into Israel and nearby villages and kibbutz. Even some of the civilians would come into Israel as well. And we know that they would come in on gliders. You've seen the videos of the young people out there as they're celebrating and dancing. Then all of a sudden, these gliders are behind them. They're coming in. And when they landed, they killed 260 young people that had gathered out there in the desert. We also know by the time everything was over that 1,400 Jews were killed on that day. It was the, the most Jews killed in a single day since the Holocaust. And over 200, about 250, were taken back to Gaza as prisoners. Most of them are still there. Women, children, elderly, they were paraded through the streets of Gaza. And within 24 hours of that attack, Israel declared war on Hamas. And Hamas, who has said and continues to say that their goal and mission is to eliminate Israel. Since then, Israel has called up all their reserves. Where There are 350,000 soldiers that are on the border of Gaza, on the border of Lebanon up north in the West Bank. A ground invasion of Gaza has begun. It is intensifying. And remember, when we talk about Gaza, there's the above-ground Gaza where residential uh, apartments and schools and hospitals are where Gaza is above ground. But what we know is that the militants, the, the terrorist militants, are underneath the ground in 300 miles of tunnels. They have their missiles, they have their launchers, they have their supplies, and they're under schools, they're under hospitals, they're near residential areas as they use their own people as human shields. And we know that as Israel says, we're going to eliminate Hamas, that it's going to be a long, drawn-out war as we know they have to go into those tunnels. And as we look to the north, on the northern border, Hezbollah, another terrorist group, a proxy of Iran, as well as Hamas, has begun firing missiles into Israel from Lebanon and from Syria. Listen, Hezbollah has some 250,000 missiles that are aimed at Israel. Many are believed to be precision-guided missiles to hit their targets. Israel has been engaged since October 7th in bombing operations in Syria, as well as the United States, because United States troops have been attacked in uh, Syria. We know that missiles have come from Yemen, from the terrorist group, again, backed by Iran, the, the Houthis. They fired them towards Israel, and the United States interest as well. And so those missiles have been intercepted, most of them. And with all of this happening over the last month, and you've been watching the news and you've been looking at all this as well, that people are wondering, nations are concerned 
that could this lead to a major escalation in war in the Middle East. Some are even afraid that it's going to lead to a world war. And as I've had people call me on the radio, as I've had people that have uh, emailed me and talked to me, uh, they are looking, Christians are looking and wondering, is this the end of the world? I've been asked that. Is this leading to the battle of Armageddon? Are we in the tribulation period? Is this Ezekiel 38 and 39? And what my prayer and hope for us in these eight weeks is that we would have a biblical understanding of what we are told is ahead for us in this world and where it's all headed to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. To understand what Isaiah declares, that God knows the end from the beginning and the prophetic future timeline is given to us in God's word. And in the book of Amos, we see a phrase that is used over 20 times in the Old Testament, that behold, the days are coming. Not that they might come, or it's a possibility, but they are coming. And we can have clarity and we can have understanding of Israel's role in the last days, which is very, very important for us to have that understanding. We will talk about the role of the church, the rapture of the church. We will discuss and look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. We will talk about the Antichrist in the tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus Christ in the millennium reign. And Jesus promised us that he would come back again, and the Bible tells us that he will establish his kingdom. And it is unfortunate, and I don't mean to have any kind of uh, just critical spirit as I say this, but much of the church at large does not teach on prophecy because I hear from people. I get questions. They tell me that our church won't talk about it. Our pastor says they won't teach through the book of Revelation. They're afraid to or uh, they just avoid it. And we are told in God's word about the prophetic scenario and the return of the Lord. We're to know and understand it. More Christians today in the church don't believe in the rapture of the church and told that it's not important to, to look at that blessed hope that is told to us, that there'll be no millennium reign. Uh, some pastors say that we don't need to look for signs. Well, Jesus, when the disciples came to him, on the Mount of Olives in the, what is called the Olivet Discourse, the second longest teaching that we have in the Gospels of Jesus next to the Sermon on the Mount. And they said, what are the signs of your coming, of the end of the age? And Jesus began to talk about those signs. We know that he rebuked the religious leaders that would, you know, come to him. And they were asking for a sign that he's Messiah. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you except for the sign of Jodah. He was talking in the, in the uh, capacity of his first coming. But then he rebuked them and he would say, that you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the day that is the coming of the Son of Man. Our Lord told us about the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows, the signs of the end. And for us to be watching, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment to be wise and be discerning. And as we look at the scriptures, we know this, that we can discern the days in which we are in. And the one super sign that end-time teachers and scholars will tell us is given to us. And that is when Israel came back into the land and became a nation once again. And the focus in the center of prophetic events is that Israel will be on the scene in the last days. You see, to understand this little country, the size of New Jersey, has become the geopolitical center of the world. 
And the reason why Israel is in the news constantly over the last 75 years, more than any other nation in the world besides the United States, for us to understand what will be the final outcome of all future events, it will be not found by listening to the politicians. It won't be found by foreign affairs analysis. It won't be found in the nightly news or university professors. It is found in the word of God. And to understand the end of things, we need to understand the beginning. The book of Genesis, where the story of Israel begins. And as we read in Genesis chapter 12, that we have the famous Abrahamic covenant. God told Abraham that through your descendants, I will make a great nation, a promise of a blessing in a seed where all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that, of course, that seed being the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And understand this as you read it in chapter 12 and go through the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. It was a unilateral, unconditional promise covenant that God made with Abraham. The land promised Abraham is repeated to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 22. It is confirmed to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 and to Jacob, Genesis chapter 28. The boundaries of the land are given in Genesis chapter 15, also in Numbers chapter 34. In Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30, similar boundaries are mentioned in the book of Obadiah. The verses that we read in the book of Amos, the next page is the book, little book of Obadiah in verses 19 through 21. In general, Israel was promised from to the west, the Mediterranean Sea, to Jordan on the east, to the river Egypt to the south, to the Euphrates River to the north. They never occupied all of that land. They'd never taken all of it. And when we talk about this is really important. When we talk about the millennium reign, and we will in a few weeks, that the millennium reign, people say, what's the purpose of it? Well, we're going to see that Israel is going to see the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled, that their borders are going to expand. We also see the promise that God gave to David, the divinic covenant, where Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David. And also they're going to come to realize the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31 and elsewhere in the Old Testament, which includes the spiritual blessing that you and I get to enjoy as believers. We have studied even recently in our study of Habakkuk and, and, and through the books of the Bible that the Bible told us that the Jews were going to go into captivity by the Babylonians. That began in 605 B.C. They would return, which they did in 536 B.C., 70 years just as God said. But we also know that the prophet spoke of another captivity, and that would be to all the nations and a future return, a greater return than the Babylonian captivity. You read about it in Jeremiah chapter 30, Ezekiel chapter 34, Zechariah chapter 10, Amos chapter 9 that we just read. Ezekiel speaks of it, of a nation coming alive that was dead. The vision of the dry bones in, in chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21, I'll read it to you. That the Lord says that I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them back into their own land. Even Jesus alluded to Jerusalem being destroyed in Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse, that he would say to them that when the armies surround Jerusalem, 
that the land is going to be desolate, that the land is going to go through great wrath, that they're going to wield a sword against you and destroy you, and you're going to be led away captive to all the nations. He would then make reference to their return when he would weep over Jerusalem and he would say that you will see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the words of Jesus would be fulfilled that in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem. When they broke through the city walls, they destroyed the magnificent temple to where not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus said would happen. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, would write that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time. They were taken into captivity. They ceased to be a nation. They ceased to be a nation for nearly 2,000 years. And then a miracle took place. After the horrors of the Holocaust, when it was realized that 6 million Jews were exterminated, were killed, that's one out of every three Jews at that time, we know that they began to make their way towards Israel. And then May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation once again. It's called the miracle of the Mediterranean. Never heard of in human history that a nation being out of their homeland has returned. But that's what the Bible said would happen. The Bible said that they would return. That as we look at it, we know that the scripture says, end time prophecy teachers say, that that's the super sign of the end of time, of, of the, the latter days, of the prophetic scenario, the, the end time prophecy clock begin to tick. Some say it's the budding of the fig tree. And Amos 9 declares that once they come back into the land and they build the ancient cities, which they have done over the last 75 years, and plant the land, that they will not be plucked out. Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter of that book, in verse 8, shall, our, our, shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? And it was a literal fulfillment that took place on May 14th of that year when Ben-Gurion declared independence. Eleven minutes later, then-President Truman against the advice of his own cabinet members, including the Secretary of Defense, George Marshall. We had just come out of World War II, and the Secretary said to President Truman, they had a close relationship. President Truman said that George Marshall was one of the greatest Americans that ever lived. But he said, don't do it. Don't, don't recognize them as uh, a, a nation. Don't, don't approve it. And war is going to break out. But Truman went against his advice and signed a declaration that the United States recognizes the state of Israel. As I said, a literal fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, shall a nation be born at once. And the declaration is just a small declaration. That's it from the National Archives. And it's interesting, when they brought it in, uh, President Truman said, well, the Jewish state that was initially on it, he said, they don't have a name. What's their name? So he crossed it out and he put the state of Israel. And then he signed it and he put May 14, 1948. And down below, that's the time. A birth certificate. What's on a birth certificate? A name, a date, and a time. Shall a nation be born at once? It's an amazing prophecy fulfilled that was spoken of 2,700 years ago. 
So when they declared independence, they were attacked by the Arab nations around them. There was only 600,000 Jews that were in Israel at that time. And by the way, you need to know this. There has never been a Palestine country in the history of the world. The emperor Hadrian in 135 AD, the Roman emperor, called the land Palestine to despise the Jews. He changed the name of Jerusalem. But Israel was controlled by Rome. And then they were controlled by the Byzantine Empire. And then that area controlled by Arab rule, the Muslims, where they built the Dome of the Rock. And then the Crusaders, which called the land the Kingdom of Jerusalem. And then the Mumlach rule. And then the Ottoman rule, the Turkish rule, for hundreds of years. And they went in and they cut all the trees down. That's how they taxed the people. And that's where um, we read that Mark Twain, that he would write, he would say, this is a wasteland. Who would want to come here? It's, it's desolate. And as the Jews began to come in and work the land, then some of the Arabs began to come in. And then in 1947, the UN proposed the establishment of an Arab state and a Jewish state in the land. And the Jews said, yes, we will take that deal. The Arabs said no. The Arab countries next to Israel said, we don't want to live next to you. We want to annihilate you. We're going to push you into the sea. May 14, 1948, five nations attacked Israel. And it would be a long, over a year, drawn-out battle. But they would defeat those armies. And then in 1967, the Six-Day War. And then 50 years prior to the Hamas, uh, Hamas attack, to the very day, 50 years prior to it, was the Yom Kippur War that took place. They were once again caught off guard. Assyria is a massive a tank attack from the north, joined by other Arab countries. Egypt to the south, they caught them off guard Israel as they were celebrating the most holy day in their calendar, Yom Kippur. And they broke through the lines, and as you read the history on that, and it's documented, that the Syrians up north, as they're coming down the hill to the Sea of Galilee, they stopped. They were confused. Egypt to the south, they stopped. They, they thought, why, why are we breaking through the lines so easily? But it gave Israel a chance to regroup and to get their forces in order to where they can begin to push against that attack. And at that time, Yom Kippur War, Israel went to the Samson option. When it looked like things looked really bad. It's a small country. Right down the, the road a few miles is their homes and their cities. And so what they went to was called the Samson option. You know the story of Samson at the end where he pushed the pillars and took everybody out with them? That's the Samson option. They pulled out their nuclear arsenal. And they were about ready to use it. And the reason that I know that is because in over 30 years ago, NORAD in the mountain where they keep track of in, any kind of missiles coming in or satellites or any thing like that, uh, they uh, were, were in the mountain there, and a good friend of mine that went to Calvary Chapel in Colorado Springs, uh, we were on the board at that time, and Pastor Chuck Smith came out to visit the church. He invited us to go into NORAD. We went into the command center, and as we went in, you, you have all the screens that are there, and then there's a table. In the room that we were in, there's a large oval table that was covered up. 
And that's where the generals would sit in, in case there was a threat of a nuclear attack or the level went up, you know, in their number system. And there was a drawer that you could pull out, and it was a phone that went to the president. He said that table in the history of NORAD has been uncovered twice. Once in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the other in the Yom Kippur War. And in the Yom Kippur War, uh, Israel pulled out the Samson um, option. They began to regain ground, and they said, this is it. We're tired of war. We're going to go to Damascus. We're going to go to Cairo. And then also is told that Russia called up Nixon and said, you put an end to it or we will. So it was a very intense time at that time. And since then, the Yom Kippur War, we know that they would, um, you know, gain the Golan Heights and, and keep that ground. And we know that also that during that time, after 1973, in the last 50 years, there's been wars in Lebanon. The proxies of Iran are growing. There's been continued attacks. And as we look at Bible prophecy, listen, Israel is God's blueprint God's program for what he is doing in the last days. And major events of the end times cannot happen or come to pass unless Israel is a nation back in their homeland. And Christians cannot deny or ignore the significance of the nation of Israel. Today there is a teaching that some Christians uh, adhere to. It's called replacement theology. And what that theology says is that the church has replaced Israel. Or the church is spiritual Israel and has replaced Israel on God's plan. And the Jews are no longer God's chosen people because of her rejection of the Messiah. And Israel doesn't play a role in the end time prophecies. There's other little uh, other things of the replacement theology uh, that take on a little different kind of uh, theological thought. Some are saying that the United States is spiritual Israel. The United States is not Israel. God made a covenant with Israel, not the United States. Israel is Israel. And there's major problems theologically with replacement theology. Remember, as you read it, and it's very clear in the book of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, that God made a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional, unilateral. In the New Testament, the term church and Israel are never used interchangeably. And there are many verses of the Old Testament and whole chapters that speak of the restoration of Israel. And even as I said, Jesus spoke of it. And we are told concerning the promises given to Israel, God said that I will bring it to pass. I will bring it to pass. So what do you do with Israel coming back into the land, as the Bible said, after 2,000 years? How can you say that, well, it's just a coincidence? Daniel chapter 9. As we will talk about, there is 70 weeks determined for your people and for your holy city, Daniel. That's the Jews in Jerusalem. 69 of those weeks or 69 periods of seven years have already come to pass. There's still one more, more, more week where we know that the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. It's called the tribulation period. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And later in the chapter, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all of Israel will be saved, a national restoration, as it is written in, as he quotes from Isaiah 59, the deliverer, that is Jesus, will come out of Zion. 
and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 36 and 37. You might want to jot it down in your notes there, but I'm going to read it to you. Will God cast away his people? The prophet Jeremiah says, If those ordinances depart before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. And thus says the Lord, If heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. In other words, through Jeremiah, the Lord says, when will I cast off my people when you can measure out the, the heavens above? When you know the length of the universe, the measures of the universe, the depths of the earth. In other words, you're never going to be able to do that. I will never cast away my people. God declares his commitment to his people and his covenant that he gave to them. If you take Israel out of the equation of end-time prophecy, then you'll get all confused about the prophetic scenario. And those who teach replacement theology will usually hold to a post-trib rapture or all-millennium thought. There's no millennium period. It can lead to a preterist view, which is just terrible theology that says that the events of the book of Revelation have already come to pass, were fulfilled in 70 A.D. We're just waiting for the return of the Lord. It's just, it doesn't measure up to what the whole of Scripture has to say. And I mention that because as we see, as we continue in our series, that many prophecies cannot be fulfilled unless Israel is back in the land, preserved until the second coming of Jesus Christ. If Israel isn't nationally back into their original homeland, there is no Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. There is no Ezekiel 38 and 39. There is no temple that is rebuilt. There is no Antichrist that makes a covenant with Israel. There is no Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There is no Zechariah chapter 12 or Joel chapter 2. And on and on we, we look at and see. And by the way, not only did the Bible speak of them coming back into their homeland, but it was also fulfillment, Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verse 9, that was literally fulfilled as we read, For them I will restore to the peoples a pure language. Hebrew came back. For all those years, for 1,900 years, Hebrew was just spoken through the prayers and through the synagogues, but you can read the story. It's the story in itself of Eleazar ben Yehuda who dedicated his life to bringing the, the Hebrew language back to the people, and it became the official language of 1948. Listen, God's word is true. And as we go through this series, we're going to talk more about Israel and God's role for Israel, but next week we're going to talk about the role of the church, and that is a blessed hope that is before us. And I pray that it's a great encouragement to you and to me. And the encouragement that we get this morning is God is working. An absolute incredible miracle, the super sign that Israel's back in the land. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And that brings comfort to me because when he gives me a promise, I know that it's true. That he told you and I he'll never leave us or forsake us. That we can be assured of our salvation that he's going to take us home to be with him, that we're going to have dinner with the Lord, and we're going to come back with him and rule and reign, we can be assured that those promises 
will come to pass as well. So, Father, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Uh, Lord, we can, are going to talk so much more about the role of Israel uh, in the last days. We know that they will go through a terrible time of fire and difficulty. But, Lord, you're going to work. The word that day will come where all of Israel will be saved. When they recognize their Mashiach is Jesus Christ, as Zacharias says, they will mourn for the one that they pierced. And Lord, I do pray also this morning as we prepare for communion. We know it's for us who get to enjoy the new covenant as believers. I pray for anyone who may be here listening. Listening later on the radio. That if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, that he is your salvation. There's none other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He proved it by going to the cross and dying for for your sins, make an atonement for your sins, and then he rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. No one else did that for you. He went to the cross because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. So the invitation is for us is to come to the cross and call out on the name of the Lord. To confess that we're sinners and ask for forgiveness, for him to sit upon the throne of our hearts and our lives as Lord and Savior, surrender to him. Repent, the Bible says. Turn to Jesus. Quit going the direction you're going because this world is going to end in a tragic way. Jesus is the one that will give you life and life abundantly. He's the one that will save. He's our salvation. He is our hope. Will you turn to him today? Today is the day of salvation. And you can do that right now sincerely in your heart. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me, a sinner. And you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for the work that you did on Calvary's cross. And Lord, help me to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And for your love for me, bringing me into the family of God in Jesus' name. And now as we prepare for communion, as you take the communion elements that are before you, you can grab it. Those of you in the front row, there's a tray here if you want to pass out the communion elements. Just go ahead and grab it over here on this side. Jesus on that night before he was crucified 
The night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. So, Lord, we thank you that you came and allowed your body, your body to be broken, suffering in ways that we can't possibly imagine, scourged and beaten. And, Lord, we thank you you did it for us. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And Father, we thank you that Jesus freely and willingly took on the cup of suffering and death. As he hung on that cross, shedding his blood, that we can have forgiveness of sin. And then he was put into a grave and he rose again. And we know he has ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of you, Father. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And we know that he's going to come back. We're going to come back with him. So, Lord, we have so much to be grateful for this morning. And I pray in this month of Thanksgiving that, indeed, that we would be thankful for so great a salvation that we have. And I pray that, Lord, we would go out of here knowing that your promises are true, every dot and tittle. So, Lord, bless your people. Help us to be a light and be looking for your return, knowing that when we begin to see these things come to pass, our redemption draws near. In Jesus' name.